Welcome to the Cutting Edge Podcast, brought to you by Western Twist Media. I'm your host, Louisa Merch-White, a competitor, a loper, and most importantly, a huge fan of and an advocate for the sport of cutting. The Cutting Edge brings you interviews and insight from across the industry, blended with my own stories, trials, and tribulations, mixed in with some humor, product reviews, brand spotlights, and listener input. Now, let's get started. You know that Adele song? That's like... Hello, it's me. I'm back. It's me. Here I am, <laughs> here with uh, here with a podcast. Um, are we back to bi-weekly? Are we back to monthly? Bi-monthly? Bi-annual? Not sure. Not going to commit to anything right now. Um, life just got a little. It got a little crazy and a little hazy. And um, the podcast is always the first thing that gets put on the shelf when life goes a little like woohoo. Um, but then. I listened to an interview like the one that you guys are about to listen that I did a couple months ago and again put on the shelf and I was like wow this is a great interview the people are gonna love this and then I start to think about all my other interviews and how much I loved it and how much I love you guys listening and how much you get out of it and the people that message me on the social medias and the great stories that people share on this podcast and how we do have other podcasts in the western performance world Um, but I do think mine's a little different, a little funky, a little quirky, a little new, uh, and then I get sad that I don't do it more, so I don't know. I am not going to promise you guys that this podcast is coming back in any sort of schedule or format, because I've done that before and I have failed you. I am just going to say that we're here for a good time, not a long time, so today you get an interview. Not sure when I'll be back, hopefully soon. We have to thank our major sponsor of the podcast today, Thermatex, a company that has been delivering medical-grade far infrared technology to humans, horses, and pets for 25 years. Manufactured right in Canada, I am obsessed with the Thermatex products for a variety of reasons. For myself and even my little doggo Cash, we don't go far without the Thermatex Platinum Far Infrared Heating Pad, and Chivas receives regular treatments with the 12-pad equine blanket. So what is the hype about far infrared? After just 20 minutes of use, the soothing infrared wavelengths penetrate significantly deeper into the muscle than any standard heating pad. This results in an increase in blood flow, which provides nutrients, oxygen, and proteins to the area to relieve pain and inflammation. So the Thermatex far infrared products provide relief from muscle pain and stiffness, joint pain associated with arthritis, muscle spasms, sprains and strains, and overall inflammation. They These products help to improve deep muscular relaxation, increase circulation to the area that is being treated, the removal of harmful and painful pro-inflammatory mediators, toxins, huge post-activity recovery, reduced risk of injury pre- and post-activity, and reduce and remove lactic acid buildup. So as you guys can see, far infrared therapy is the ultimate for equine athletes and for their sore riders and their little barn friends like Cash. I've absolutely loved the results of the Thermatex 12-pad 
equine blanket. I've been using it on Chivas now for a significant amount of time, over six months. He loves it. He just stands in his stall quietly. Um, I set the blanket. I set a timer, keep an eye on him, and away he goes. He's in like relaxation mode. If you guys want to know more about the Thermatex line of products, you can visit thermatex.com. Again, something that I love about Thermatex is its medical grade, even the horse stuff. So you are getting the highest quality of products that you can get on the market, FDA and Health Canada approved for your horses, your dogs, your cats, and yourself, which is, I think, really important in a world where you can get a lot of products and it doesn't always mean that they are safe or that you should be using them on everything. I also want to remind you that I'm very honored to work with Thermatex and because I work with them, I have a few discount codes to provide my followers. So for humans, you can use Western Twist 30 for $30 off the platinum and free shipping. And for the horse side of things, you can use Western Twist 10 for 10% off all equine products. So the blankets are definitely an investment, one that I would recommend, but if you are not ready to kind of make the big leap into far infrared, they have neck pieces, leg warmers, all sorts of different things for the horses that are at a lower price point. And you can use my code WESTERNTWIST10 to get started, get a little bit of a discount, see the effects, and then jump on in and get one of those beautiful big yellow blankets. Again, check out thermotex.com for more information. Thanks, guys. And thank you to Thermotex for sponsoring today's podcast. Before we get to the interview, I did also want to mention that I am reaching out to the 2021 NCHA haulers in a bit of a different way. So if you guys are OG Western Twist Media fans, you'll remember that in 2017 and 2018, I did a series um, in long, like a long form post series. I think it was actually my blog at the time called Holland. And basically I emailed and Facebooked and sent carrier pigeons out to world finalists um, to do kind of a question and answer style interview. And then I would share the posts in written format on my blog and Facebook page. And I loved the answers, the insight and the enthusiasm that came from those interviews. And you guys did too. They were widely circulated at the time. However, it was really tough for me to get to everyone. Some of my must haves never got back to me. Uh, and that always like was a downer back then. It was a little hard on my ego. And then some of my should have interviews never got an email from me. And that caused a little bit of strife for me as well. Um, people thought that I was purposefully le- le- leaving them out. And I definitely wasn't. And that was, I was very upset that people felt that way because obviously I want everyone to be celebrated when they're heading to the world finals. So this year, as we watch the Holland race come to an end, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on it, that this weekend is the final weekend of the 2021 race. I wanted to reprise the concept and thought I could utilize this great app, JotForm, to ask the questions. So all you have to do if you're a hauler is submit your answers. You click a link and you just type your answers in the boxes underneath the questions and you hit submit at the end. So if you are a hauler, please Follow the link on my Facebook page in these notes. It's HTTPS, um, the two dots, <laughs> slash, slash, form, dot, dot, form, dot, com, slash, Western Twist Media, slash, Holland 2021. You could also just go to westerntwistmedia.com. It's on my front page. <laughs> Click the link that way. Um, submit your answers to be featured. 
And if you guys are listening, you know of a hauler, you're the owner of a horse being hauled, you have a favorite cutter that you know is hauling and you want to hear from them, um, tag them in the post that's going to go up on Sunday, send them the link, nudge them to get their answers in. And if you are feeling extra spicy and crazy, you could also come on the podcast, whether by recording your answers to my questions on the Voice Memo app and sending that to me or doing an interview with me over Zoom. If you are interested in that, shoot me a DM or an email at westerntwistmedia at gmail.com. I'd definitely love to have you on the podcast. So to summarize, um, go to westerntwistmedia.com. On the front page, you'll see something that says world finalists, a big graphic of me at world finals. You click it, then you click the link, you submit your answers. I'll share them on Western Twist Media. We want to hear from you guys. It's such a long road to get to world finals and it doesn't matter what class you're in. If it was the best year of your life, the worst year of your life, you deserve to be celebrated and you, yeah, I think it's just awesome to hear from you. So if you're a hauler or if you're a friend of a hauler, make them do this, work on it together, have some wine, it'll be fun. I can't wait to share your answers on Western Twist Media's Facebook page. Mwah. for a long period of time because she is a big personality on social media. She is an extremely successful realtor. She has segued her realty into different areas of that and has been successful in those with coaching. She has a young family, like she's really doing the most. Uh, and recently, this is a really prudent time for this interview because at one of the last horse shows of the season, I did a question and answer box and a lot of people were asking me on the social medias like about my trajectory with loping, if I would still lope full time, if they should be loping. Like honestly, quite a few questions came into my DMs um, about, you know, my advice for people that are interested in loping. And truthfully, my answer to those people, and this is a very personal answer and it does not reflect poorly on anybody else just saying that right now. Um, but at the time when I stopped loping full-time, it's because I felt that it couldn't pay for me to be showing horses. And that is ideally what I wanted to do in my life. Um, I felt that more of an office job with a guaranteed page. Well, I had a guaranteed paycheck, but a larger paycheck with benefits and everything else that comes with those types of jobs was going to set me up better financially for the future. Um, and it definitely has. And so for me, that was that was my choice was to kind of walk away from loping full time. I never started horses or trained horses or, or really had the opportunity to train horses. I wasn't in programs that nurtured that in me. You know, I so I actually don't find myself to be too terribly handy, to be honest. Um, if I had been in programs like that, where I could have seen a way to like make my own money in the industry with horses, I might have stayed the course. Um, but at the time I definitely didn't have those opportunities in front of me. So where am I going with this? What does this have to do with Sarah, this amazing realtor that we're going to hear, hear from. She actually does talk a lot about in this interview, how, you know, she was just really focused on making money so that she could have horses in her life. And I thought that was really interesting. She's clearly extremely passionate and good at what she does. So it's not like she's like settled for some job that she hates because she wants to pay the bills. Um, and I really love that. I think it's a great message. I think a lot of you are kind of in that time of your lives that follow me on social media and listen to this podcast. So I was inspired to publish this interview. I think it is great. I'm thankful for Sarah coming on. And now without further ado, we will get to the interview.
Okay. All right. So we have Sarah Kalki with us today, realtor extraordinaire, horsewoman of many disciplines. And that's kind of why I wanted to get Sarah on the podcast. I wanted her insight on riding in multiple different disciplines and balancing like horse show life with business, with being a mom and having a family. So I'm super excited to chat with you. I just thought it'd be kind of a different interview. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. All right. So first off, I kind of alluded to it. How did you get immersed into the world of cutting and cow horse? Did you grow up riding? Like where'd the cow horse bug come from? Well, my dad uh, was raised on a dairy farm back in the day when they actually used horses to do a lot of farm work. And hopefully everybody on the podcast at some point gets to meet Hank. That's my dad. He's legendary. (laughs) Um, Hank is the best storyteller. And he, when we were growing up, we grew up in the city. He always had the best stories of like his first horse named Rocket, who was like one of those magical unicorn horses that like met him at the far edge of the pasture. He hopped on off the fence bareback, took his belt off and um, rode, you know, like the wind across the field uh, with his Uh, just his belt wrapped around the horse's neck. And so everything horses is when I was growing up was like magic. So I grew up, uh, if anyone asked me when I was a little girl, what I wanted to be, it was either a pilot or a cowgirl Um, pilot, you know, maybe I'll be a pilot later, but I just really, really wanted to be a cowgirl. I was obsessed with horses, everything horses, but we couldn't, I couldn't really ride until um, I got to university and my uncle Paul heard that I loved horses and he went out two days after he heard that I loved horses and bought a horse for me to ride. It was this like of uncle Paul, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It was a, a fairly, um, rank, shall we say, a red dun mare named Dee Dee. She pulled back, she bucked, she kicked, she was just, and she ran off all the time, but I was in love. It was the most fun thing I'd ever done. Uh, And my uncle Paul took me to the Supreme. And the first time I went to the Supreme, I was like, what? is this, I got to watch all of, you know, all the trainers now that we ride with, got to see them all riding and showing in cow horse. And I just was sitting there in awe saying one day I'm going to do that. So that's, that's really where it, where I got introduced to it. And ever since then, I've been on a mission. Basically most of my life has uh, been uh, on a mission to get to ride and show cutters and cow horses. Yeah. And for those that are listening that don't know, the Supreme was such a cool Canadian initiative because it had raining cow horse and cutting at it all under the same roof. And it's no longer, unfortunately it's defunct, but like, it was such an awesome, awesome show. And so cool to hear like people. Yeah. That was like your first experience. And that's why you're now in the industry, which is so awesome. Um, so you go to the Supreme with uncle Paul, you're super in love with the idea of being a cowgirl. So tell me about your first, was it like cutter cow horse? Like what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, the very first like real performance horse that I bought is the gelding. I still own now Glowsmith cat, uh, also known as Chuck. Um, I bought him, I'd been riding like a little bit and I was like, I just want to own like a really nice cutting horse that everyone said, like, you have to own one. So we kind of looked around and Danny Jones was selling his horse, Glow Smooth Cat. He was a five-year-old gelding. Uh, and he was 
it would be like, you just learned how to drive and you go and buy a Maserati. <laughs> like if it was about like that to me, I had no business owning this horse or showing him. I'm pretty sure the first time I showed him my hat fell off, which is, you know, like the He's most dying. mortifying thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much, you, it would be better if I would have fallen off, but um, my hat fell off. It was total hot mess. And, uh, but he has been the best possible teacher and showed him in the cutting for a little while never well. And now through kind of a random and very strange events, he got turned into a cow horse. And so now I'm going to show him down fence. So did you get into like actually riding competitively older then? Cause that wouldn't have been that long ago. Oh yeah. No, he was the first horse that I really owned and showed. And that was, I think I bought him. He's uh Oh, nine gelding. I bought him when he was five. So 2014. Yeah. And then I don't think I got stepped into the show pen and showing pen at all until mm, maybe 2016. That's and awesome. even at that, it was like rookie, rookie, didn't know what I was doing. It just like literally figured it out, <laughs> but um, had lots of fun doing it and still having fun. So there you go. That's awesome. And now you kind of touched on that too, with Chuck. Is it, did, did his name, was his name Chuck when you got him? Yeah. Cause I know you call him Chuck Bass, but I'm sure Danny didn't call him Chuck Bass. No, <laughs> no. Where I rode at the time, um, they had like a teenage girl and she was really into gossip girl. So she was like, it's Chuck Bass. And he is kind of like the character Chuck Bass and um, who in the movie is like, uh, really arrogant. Chuck's really full of himself. He's very, very confident, which I think is why we've been such a good match for as long as we have is that for as much as I didn't know, he was like, I got this. Lady. Yeah, like I, got I am this. The, I'm God's gift to humankind. I'm the most amazing horse of life. And so he's just, <laughs> he's still like that to this day. That's so awesome. So you have Chuck and then who else is at the barn under the Kalki horse home life? Well, the next horse that I bought that was uh, my first official, um, actually, that's not true. There was one in between. I bought a four-year-old gelding named Smoothie. He was a cow horse. It was a little bit wild. He didn't like stopping uh, down the fence. It was like very Western. So I sold him. Uh, and then I bought Barbie, who is this like big, <clears throat> amazing dream Palomino mare. Got to show her down the fence. Just for a couple of months. And then I bought my true, true love JPT Jazzy Cat, who you've seen me show, I think, or I, mm -hmm. I did show last year and the year before. And she's just like an amazing cutter and um, hybrid cat daughter out of um, a world champion mare that it's just been Jazzy's pep talk is her name. And I just absolutely love her. She's like the sweetest horse loves giving hugs is like so so lovely and really um once I got her is when I felt like I started to really get it at least a little bit with cutting and um, Chuck when I got him was he was a cutter for a while he competed down in Texas and he was just kind of like over cutting and he really 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 dislikes uh Alberta cattle they're slow and boring to him so he was just like grumpy but Jazzy loves it and she was amazing so I have her and then now I have a four-year-old cutter hopefully I'll get to show in the fall um named dual smoke and Dixie and a uh, baby out of Barbie um who is he's a real Picasso so he's like a cat's Picasso baby who I'm going to show in the cow horse as well so, yeah. so what a, what a, 
<laughs> That's all. What a lineup in only a short amount of time, Sarah. <laughs> I'm good at spending money. I'm really good at buying things and helping people buy things. If you ever like are on the fence about a decision, call me and I will help you spend your money. <laughs> Very good at it. I love that. Um, and so you obviously ride cutters and you ride cow horse. So who do you ride with in either, either Avenue? Uh, Brad Peterson. I ride with him in both. He, uh, uh, he's the Yoda in my world. He tells me what to do and what not to do in as simple a way as, as Brad does, um, ride with him. Um, at shows, I often get help from Clint Swales because he trained uh, my horse to be a cutter and sometimes John Swales, his brother, uh, just depending on who's there. So I super like it. it's the best getting their help at shows. And then at cutting shows, of course, um, Brad helps me out, but I, I'm for sure Brad Peterson's client. I go to his place and work cows and um, get yelled at. <laughs> Deservedly. Deservedly so, yeah. Anyone that knows Brad knows that to, to have him yell at you, you're, you probably are deserving of it. It's pretty nice. Pretty much. He doesn't really yell generally. But. Yeah, he probably just <laughs> yeah. speaks loudly. Cause he is wondering if you aren't hearing him, right? <laughs> that would, yes, that's, that's completely accurate. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what are some of your biggest accomplishments or proudest moments so far in uh, either sport? You know, I know it sounds really cheesy, but just any time I walk into the herd or I get out there is something that I'm pretty excited and proud about because I wasn't raised in the world. I didn't grow up there. It's so out of my element. And uh, so I'm pretty psyched anytime I go in and um, I won the novice challenge that the Alberta Horse Association had and won a saddle, which was pretty cool. And, um, you know, won a few things over the years, uh, on Chuck, I just won the uh, novice non-pro bridal spectacular, which was kind of cool. Uh, and just, but really like, it's not so much about like the big accomplishments. Cause I can't say, you know, I went to the world finals or I did anything big like that, but just to be somebody who gets to sit on a horse and show them is pretty ridiculously awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's a great attitude of gratitude, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, in your professional world, you are a realtor and a very successful one at that. So where did that passion for realty come from? horses, <laughs> basically. And um, when I first, I got my first horse, I had just finished and have a, a background of very random hobbies. I was a climber. I was on the Canadian climbing team for a while when I was in my teens. And then uh, I decided to get a classical music degree. So that's what I studied in university. It's very, I'm like the person of random hobbies. Um, and then when I came back from university, I decided uh, to, I just wanted to have a job where I could pay for horses. So I wrote my LSAT. I was going to go to law school. And then I decided, well, you know, all these other realtors seem to be doing pretty well. seems like it would be a pretty legit way to own a horse. Never imagined that I would stay in the industry or that I would actually like it. God forbid. I always thought real estate was like super cheesy and awful, but, uh, it turns out I, I really like it and it is a wonderful way to pay for horses. <laughs> so like legitimately the whole career is just was kind of a means to an end. I was like, Oh yeah, it seemed like I could probably buy a horse if I stayed in real estate long enough. So that's why, that's why I do what I do. That's awesome. And then I did note that you are a very successful realtor. So what do you attribute the growth and success of your business to over the last few years? 
Well, horses are expensive <laughs> for one. You need two so, cell houses. Um, yes. Yeah. So if you ever need a very motivated real estate agent, uh, get one who owns horses because they have bills, <laughs> like a lot of bills. No, but um, in all seriousness, I had a really great mentor for my first five years. I was an assistant. I really paid my dues. I, there's a lot of similarities between, you know, people who become horse trainers and even my industry where I paid my dues first. I think a lot of people, especially in real estate think, oh yeah, I want to be a real estate agent. So they go out on their own, but they don't learn the back end. So I spent my first five years learning the systems, learning uh, how to deal with expenses, how to advertise. And then real estate, what the people see is like the tip of the iceberg. It's like, all they see is, you know, the trainers at the horse show, they don't see what really goes, you know, below the surface of the water of the iceberg, which is really all the systems and organization research. We do a ton of research all the time. It's easy to do all of that stuff when you have a really good background in it and you really understand it. Um, and then there's this beautiful part to it where we get to be the stewards of people's biggest investment of their life and, you know, selling properties and then buying investment properties. And there's a great deal of responsibility that goes along with that. And I think real estate does really well for people who like gold stars, which definitely <laughs> because the loops are very short. It's not like I'm taking a, you know, two-year-old and riding it every day all the way to the futurity. And um, the lifespan of most of my clients, you know, from the day that I meet them to the day that they move into their house is 90 days. Yeah. So it's really good. It's very fast paced. And um, I always say it's like the ultimate adulting extreme sport especially when the market is hot because things are, you know, they all happen so fast. There's a lot of adrenaline going and I thrive on that. I love it. It's, it's super fun. Uh, the fact that I get to make money and pay for horses and live a life that's really quite amazing is uh, just an incredible byproduct of what I get to do. So yeah, it's yeah. cool. And then through social media, I've seen you offer what appears to be like an online mentorship training style courses. So tell me a bit about that. How did that all come to be? Well, again, I, you know, I had horse bills to pay. So I was always thinking, I was like, hmm, how else can I make some money? Um, no, in all seriousness, I had people come to me over the years saying, Hey, can you help me and help my business? Hey, can you help me? And I was sitting down for coffees and I was on the phone with people all the time and um, helping them build their real estate businesses. And eventually my husband was kind of like, Hey, you probably should charge people for this, or you could just hang out with me instead, which was very true. So I, on, it was like, I was sitting on a beach and I just like put up a Facebook post saying, Hey, you know, if you're interested, I'd, you know, maybe offer like some real estate coaching, whatever. And before I knew it, I had like 30 coaching clients and it was like this big thing. And so I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm onto something. So now I have one-on-one -on -one coaching and I, always, I usually have about 12 uh, coaching clients there. And then I have a mastermind program where I teach a course. So we meet twice a week. I teach the course one day and then we do, we meet up to do like a accountability work session. So everybody comes, we do their social media, we do their promotions, we solve problems that are going on in their business. Uh, and I have about 50 people in that program. So I sell lots of real estate and then I do that. The reason I do it, and I mean, obviously the money is helpful for horses, but the biggest thing is at a certain point in my real estate business, I started to get a little bit 
kind of bored, if you will. It wasn't that, you know, like you're kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And what I found that is really exciting, even though in real estate, you can like help people a lot, you know, you can help them make money on their transactions. They uh, will move into a better house and that helps their life. When I work one-on-one with somebody who is, you know, struggling in their business uh, or really struggling with self-confidence or really huge difference to retire their spouse out of their job that they hate or, you know, have like big life changes. And um, they'll come to me and say, you know, you've literally changed my life. I'm a different person um, because of the coaching. I lit- And, you know, this kind of feedback is so much more exciting than the little short cycle of a real estate transaction. So I started it kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, this would be kind of like a fun side hustle, but it's become really a very fulfilling life purpose Mm -hmm. to help people uh, build their own businesses and and live better lives. So it's been, it's been a pretty fun journey. Yeah. I I think that's wonderful and probably just creates a lot more energy in your day-to-day. Like if you're meeting with them two times a week and you're teaching and then you're doing masterminds and you guys are bouncing ideas, like it seems like you're the type of person that probably gets a lot of like energy from those types of scenarios. Big time. I love learning. And you learn the best when you're teaching. That's when, you know, that's when you really solidify knowledge that you have for sure. Totally. Who knew realty and horse training? So similar. <laughs> yep. <It's laughs> Just tell Brad that. Just be like, Brad, very similar to selling houses. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, you're wrong, Sarah. Um, and then, so obviously you utilize social media within your business. You said, you know, you're sitting on a beach and you post a Facebook post and away, away it goes. But you also share quite a bit of your personal life, horses and family on your social media channel channels. So how has that helped you grow your brand professionally? Well, when I first started in real estate, I had the same fears that everybody else has, which is if I posted that I was doing anything besides real estate, I would risk getting business that people would say, Oh, she's not serious. And she has to, you know, just only be doing real estate. And you see that, you know, when people get into real estate or they get into sales of any type, their feed goes from like normal people to like, buy this, buy this, buy this product, buy this thing. And they're trying so hard and I don't fault them because people need to make money. And I respect that hundred percent. Um, but I started doing an experiment partway through, I thought, okay, I was doing every post was like, you know, having a great day. Yay. Sold a house. And it, didn't feel that good. It felt really cheesy and kind of dumb. So I thought, well, what if I just do an experiment? I'll just do a year of being completely myself and we'll just see how that works out. Like maybe it'll tank my business. Maybe it won't. I felt like I was at a you know decent enough spot where I had business going on. So I was like, well, it probably won't, but, um, it turned out that people actually really like multidimensional actual human beings, especially on social media. It's, it's one thing, you know, when I sit down with my clients, I'm not like telling them about my horses generally, and we're talking about their real estate and their needs, and it's all about them. But on social, we come to it to have a conversation with people and to learn about people. And um, nobody wants to be sold like perpetually on stuff. Uh, they just, they want to feel like they're part of your life. So we just welcome them in and we said, you know, this is everything do. You know, we are off at horse shows. We're doing, uh, we go on holidays. I help other real estate agents. You know, I have this like rounded life, but 
I think all of that stuff makes me better at my job, not worse. And the right people, my right customers, they see that. And the people who would be offended by that are naturally repelled by it, which is amazing because then I, I don't have to deal with them. So it's, yeah. it's been a, a pretty fun experiment that's turned into um, a passion that I get to teach people of how yeah. to build their business by being real. Totally. Which definitely leads into my next question, which is like, what are some words of wisdom or advice you have for other professionals when it comes to marketing and messaging through social media, now that you've lived successfully through your experiment? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, the first thing is that you can never underestimate the power of relationships. I know that's been said many times, but uh, social media is not a one-way media stream. So for every one post you're putting out there, it's very important to have eight to 10 interactions with people. If you want to go down to the nitty gritty, I mean, that's the logistics of how we work things on our end and interact with people. You know, they don't have to be people that, you know, really well, be brave enough to send them a message. If you're watching their stuff, please just tell them that you like it and, you know, answer their questions and interact a little bit. And after that, I always say I have three rules. If I was going to take over anybody's social media, this would apply to horse trainers. It would apply to influencers. It would apply to uh, anybody who's trying to make it in any sort of business. The first one is that you have to be present. Your face, your job, it must be there. Uh, If it was, you know, horse trainers who are trying to build their business, don't just post pictures of horses' faces. Make sure that you're getting photos taken of you on people's horses, especially your customers, because what do customers love more than anything? Seeing their horse and especially seeing their horse getting rode by their trainer. Like that's, it means so much to us to get little updates and see stuff going on. So the first one is your face is really, really important. Second one is your profession. You have to be talking about what you do. Uh, so many people, you know, they miss that because they think it's like awkward and they don't want to talk about what they do, but everybody's like, oh, I didn't even know that you did that. Mm-hmm. And why not leverage your social media to make some money? So second one, definitely talk about the product that you're selling, talk about you using it and talk about, you know, you training your horses and little tips for people and help people out with it. Absolutely. And the third one is the well-rounded part. I, I call it your mascot. So have something. I mean, you have Shivas, <laughs> which we all know, but <laughs> that's all, it, that's all, all it is. It's just the Shivas channel. <laughs> pretty much. Which, but like, who doesn't love that? And yeah. we're here on social to escape our regular lives. We're not logging into social because everything is like, um, you know, we're watching an amazing sunset and everything is perfect in our life. I hope in those moments, you're not logging into social. You're usually bored or you're stressed or, you know, you're just like checking in on people. They should be sharing the fun stuff, you know, their pets, their kids, their, um, what's going on in life, stuff that makes you feel good. That's, that's why you show up. And as a, leader as a person in our community, everybody, especially the horse trainers, everybody else, try and think of something to post that would get the reaction from the audience of, I needed to hear that today. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've, we get so in our own head (laughs) about stuff that we forget to just give people a little bit of encouragement from time to time and say, Hey, you know, if you're starting out, I started somewhere. I, you know, so those three things are the biggest things for sure. I think that's really, really great advice for anyone. Cause I mean, social media 
it's almost impossible to get away from now. Horse trainers have social media marketing people in the last couple of years, which I've, which is totally new to our industry. You know, it's definitely changing and growing. And I know it's really scary for some people. And definitely, even if you're comfortable posting on social media, sometimes it can be scary as well. So I thought that was all really great advice. So we went from cutting to cow horses to real estate to social media, but you've also even dipped your toes into the English world. So how did that come to be amongst everything else that you got on the go? <laughs> yeah, good question. Just what I needed was, was more stuff. Well, literally, I'm um, like, where, where do you have time to do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, in business, you know, one of the biggest things that I help people with and that I'm really passionate about is don't try and do everything yourself. Um, you know, I have the equivalent of like, many lopers. I have four assistants that work with me um, and that makes my life a lot easier. So it seems like I do everything, but I really don't. So that's important. And my daughter really wanted to ride and she thought English outfits were cooler than Western outfits. I know I have failed in this world that my daughter thinks English clothes are cooler than Western clothes. That's probably because she doesn't see them as much, right? It's more exotic for her. Cause how old is your daughter? Uh, she's eight. It was because of the Lego friends. Um, if you, there's like these characters called the Lego friends and all the Lego friends ride horses, but they all are like jumpers. And so she was like, I like their outfits, mom. Like they have cooler outfits. Can I, you know, can I write English? Like Western, she's like, eh, you know, she'd come out, she'd ride like my old mare. She, whatever is be fine. But <laughs> she decided she really wanted to take English lessons. And so I was like, okay, fine, you know, call this place and, you know, through, you know, horse people, world small through ferry or whatever. She's like, oh yeah, I also shoe horses at this Amberly Meadows place. So I was like, okay, we'll go there. And we show up for lessons. And my idea was, I thought it would be really cool for me to get to ride English like a little bit. And like the two of us could kind of learn together. Um, but just as like, I do it like three times and it would be fun. And then I'd be like, okay, I've done it. We're good. But I get there for my lessons. So she starts taking lessons, which is amazing. And I get there for my lessons and they wheel out this horse. Um, his withers are like higher than my head. It's this dark bay looks like, like an expanded version of Chuck and is like spectacular. Like he looks like Vallegro in my world. He's like this yeah. big, amazing, um, I could not believe it. And I just assume like, cause I come from the Western world that, you know, like the trainer probably sits on a horse and then, and so that was who the trainer was going to sit on. I was going to sit on one of these like 25 year old lesson horses and, and, you know, just like hack around. It'd be hilarious. Then they're like, Oh no, you're riding this horse. He turns out to be a Grand Prix dressage horse. So he's flown on airplanes all around the world competing in Grand Prix competitions. And like, no, no, you're going to ride him. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> like for real. So you get up there and if you haven't rode in an um, English saddle, which I hadn't before that moment, I had to buy a helmet. I didn't own a helmet, like, which is crazy. Like what we do, like, especially going down the fence without helmets, like I, it's nuts. Our ground is softer, I swear. Yeah. Um, and our horses are like really self into self-preservation. <laughs> the amount of wrecks that happen is shockingly little um, for what we do, even in gutting. But so anyways, I, I get to ride this horse and turns out it's amazing. It's like this whole other world. It's the exact opposite of everything that we do. And, um, 
I think a lot of it had to do with having a really good, super positive, really encouraging instructor as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, it turns out I got like really hooked into this dressage world. So now I take some lessons and do that a little bit too. That's so awesome. I have such secret aspirations to be a dressage queen. I think it is amazing. I just, I want to do it so bad. <laughs> you so- should. I know. I really should. I mean, Chivas is on the, re- the rehab scene. I should go find a, a big old warm blood somewhere to get on. <laughs> Are well, there, I was uh, in the same boat. Say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I was in the yeah, same boat. Yeah. Cause my mares were both off. Yeah. yeah. And then my, um, my cat or my cow horse was going to compete at world's greatest. So I had no horse to ride. So that was a big part of it too. Um, I probably wouldn't have jumped into it as much as I did if I had other horses to ride, but I didn't have the time. You, you didn't yeah. have enough like time in your week to like smell any horse sweat. You're like, I got to figure something out here. This isn't going to work. For yes, me. <laughs> that's right. So are there any, now that you've done all three cutting cow horse and dressage, are there any huge similarities or like glaring differences that you could pin- pinpoint between the three? Well, the only real similarity is that you want to try and stay on the horse. <laughs> That's the idea. I got piled by the dressage horse, um, which was pretty epic. I tore up my knee. I had a concussion, like all these years, <laughs> riding cutters and cowers, no problems. Um, the differences between dressage and cutting cowers, it they're like as far apart as you could possibly get. And um, dressage is all about, you know, forward motion and like bouncing up and down and, you know, cow horse and cutting is all about stopping and, you know, like slinking around and like being cat-like and very close to the ground. So they're very, very different. And um, part of my motivation besides just wanting to be a cool mom to Zoe uh, to get into dressage was that I really wanted to improve my riding. And anything I can do, you know, I'm obsessed if I could take a little piece of something and bring it back to riding, especially cow horse, because there's the raining. And I had heard Bob Avila talk about the big turning point in his raining program was he moved to California and he started taking dressage lessons. And if you, he has like a video, people who've seen the Bob Avila video will know which, what I'm talking about, but he starts taking dressage lessons and that really, really helped him gain body control over these horses. And, you know, he's like the master of it. And then I was riding with Clint and this was after I had been, um, cutting for like a couple of years and you know how it is like in the lope pen, you're not like, you're just like loping for a long time. And so, you know, you're like formal riding and whatever, you know, kind of goes out the window and we're like, you know, pumping with your elbows, you know how cutters do. <laughs> and so I, I went to Clint's for a lesson on Chuck once he came back from world's greatest. And he was like, what are you doing with your arms? Like you need to just sit still. And because they used to ride English and their parents wrote English, all the swells is, And I realized I was like, oh, I have some pretty big holes in my riding and like being a really solid rider. So dressage has taught me a lot about all the little details, you know, how to move their hip, how to do, um, you know, to really collect them, but in a very different way than we collect horses and, you know, to help the horse use themselves better. I have learned so much from it that, um, especially in the reined work has really helped me a lot. And everyone says now I have really pretty circles. (laughs) So I spent a lot of money to get pretty circles. I don't know, but, um, the, I think the biggest thing is it's just, 
anything you can do or that I can do to get better and to learn has been really fun. And I think Chuck has really liked it because I notice a huge difference in my seat and how I ride and how I carry myself and just how he responds to things is so much different and a lot better because I've been learning how to do this, like totally other thing. It's been Mm -hmm. really good. So you haven't tried to get Chuck doing any like peoffs or anything like that yet? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but actually, um, the, like the training that we do where I have him, um, we don't have a flag, which is good. Brad approves that I don't have a flag and I don't wreck anything. <laughs> I don't mess with anything. I just keep him in shape. Um, now I have all these cool dressage exercises to do, um, that actually, you know, give him some variety. So we do a lot of like half passing and leg yielding and, you know, stuff that, I get to do in my dressage lessons, I bring it over and, and really work on, you know, like collecting his hindquarters and collection from the back. And there's so much stuff that gives us just stuff to work on. Besides I go out and I lope him in some circles and, you know, like, I think it's probably more interesting for him. He seems to be happy because there's like a little bit of a challenge and, you know, we throw in some sliding stops and some spins and stuff in there, but, um, I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, I could crack him out at a dressage show one day. I'd, people would probably be offended by his slide shoes, <laughs> the damage he'd do, but <laughs> the perfect dirt. No, I think like, I mean, all horses, but cutters and cow horses, we've bred them to think and like have desire and their own thought processes. And, you know, yeah, like if you spend four months every winter, trotting circles in an arena, which I have, it gets boring for the rider. I can't even imagine how boring it gets for them. Like you do really need to work on different sort of things to keep them in condition mentally as well as physically. So I think that's a really great point. And so you make a good point about that difference (laughs) between the horses. Um, they're from what I can tell the English horses seem a lot more like okay. Like every day they're okay with doing the same thing where our horses are so smart. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I love cutting a cow horse so much is because, you know, you get the magic of the horse thinking and, you know, especially anybody who cuts like, Oh, what heaven it is to sit on a cow. um, Like, and you get your cow cut right in the middle and you drop your hand and your horse. And it's just like the most magical thing. Oh yeah, it is. And that's why we get suckered into it. And cause I literally this, this couple weekends ago, when you were talking about loping, I was pushing up and down on the cantle for five hours, probably wasn't even using my core. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go get English lessons. Like, this is not okay. Like, like cause you're so suckered in because you start cutting and it's so magical and you're like, this is all I want to do. And then the holes, they do appear from time to time in the mm-hmm. riding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yep. so now that you've done all these things, all the things, what are some horse related goals you have for yourself in the next few years? You know, I think the biggest goal I have right now is do everything for Zoe. Uh, she's really my first priority when they're little, like I could take her to horse shows and it was fun. And you know how horse shows are, there's like a little posse of kids that rolls around, especially at cow horse shows. And, um, but now that she's really into it, I've sat, I haven't gone to the last couple of shows because Zoe's had her own riding shows and there is no joy greater than that. Those it's like, we're in, you know, now from eight to 18, the next 10 years are hers. So I hope that I get to still show some cow horse. I hope I get to show in the cutting and um, have my four-year-old cutter that I really, really, really want to show. And, you know, I cannot wait. I'm so eager, but of course 
you know, I'm like waiting to get the the blessing. Green light. <laughs> can show her. Yeah. Um, but that's my biggest horse related goals are just that Zoe gets to enjoy and experience horses as much as I do. I would love to haul one day and, you know, try and do the world finals. Um, I would love to compete at the world finals in the cow horse right now with COVID, like it's being a little bit weird to think about it. I mean, Chuck's qualified, so maybe I'll take him down in February next year. Um, but really the biggest thing is that she gets to have a bunch of fun. Um, I'm excited to show my three-year-old cow horse too. So I'll have a little bit of, um, experience doing the aged event thing. And both, both, I think are the biggest, uh, excitement of stuff that's coming up next. So, a whole yeah. different style of being scared, showing young. <laughs> as, a yes, total, yes. as a total aside, Sarah, do you follow Milton Manesco on Instagram? No. So it's, it's a woman. Um, I think she's in California and it was named after, and I'm going to butcher this. I believe her grandfather was an artist and she was into art dealing and she kind of discovered this like family connection. So she named her Instagram account after her father or grandfather something. But anyways, she has this amazing like street style incorporated with horse style and she shows, but her kids show in the English world. And you very much give me her vibes because she'll be like at like a junior rodeo with like a big flat hat and like like breeches on. And then she'll like be chasing her little kids around at a dressage event. She's like so fashionable, but also like pretty ranchy. I really, you should really follow that account. I really think you'd be into it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I will. Yeah. It's a weird name. I'll send it to you later, but she's yeah, super cool. cool. And she cool. does like little pop-ups and like little, yeah, some like fashion crossovers and her stuff's really neat. It's really neat to follow. So you talked about world finals in both events. Is that kind of the big bucket list horse related item for you? Or is there like some huge thing that you want to do before you die with horses? Those are the two biggest ones, world finals. Um, I want to, I want to show in that Fort Worth dirt that is so legendary. Um, I've had my horse show there, but I want to go and show. And I've I've always said to myself, I don't just want to like drive down there and show when it's not going to be good. Like I really want to have a good shot at it because it's a long journey for the horses. You're asking so much of them to make it all the way down there. And that's what I would really, really love to get to go show in world finals in both events in cutting a cow horse. Yeah, no, definitely. So we've talked about, well, I just talked about Milton Manesco randomly. So who are some women that you love to follow or that inspire you, whether it's horsewomen or realtor or whatever you're up to dressage? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a huge, um, Charlotte Dujardin fan, which I think everybody should be because she's like regular people. She's like not a super rich kid who got to do this. She was like the assistant trainer who became the Olympic gold medalist, which is, and she's still the assistant trainer. Like she's amazing. And she has a really cool like style and she's hilarious. And, and so she's really cool to watch. I mean, I know it's dressage. I obviously I'm a huge fan of all of the women in our sport. Um, you know, Morgan Cromer, like you, how can you not look up to, uh, all of, all of those women and Sarah Dawson and Aaron Termino, like they're obviously very, very super cool. Um, you know, I think 
in terms of like the business world, there's a lady that I follow named Rachel Rogers, uh, who's really fun and um, does lots of the same kind of work that I do, you know, helping women be more confident and make more money and live their dreams and like, just go all in. <laughs> you know, if you have something you want to do, who cares if you're not from that world, if you're an outsider, if it's something that you really thought was cool, just figure it out, like get yourself in there and do it. And um, so those are all people who I think really do that. I love that. And I love Charlotte's biography or autobiography or whatever it was. I yeah. read it in like two days. It was amazing. So good. And now she like made the Olympics with Geo. I know I have a real girl crush on her as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as a strong yeah. woman and in inspiration in our industry, what is one thing within our industry? So we'll say cutting and cow horse that you would like to see change, grow or evolve. Well, I think that Brad always sums it up really well um, because, you know, I think Brad's been around for a very long time, as we know, and he's worked with a lot of people just like me, you know, professionals who work really hard, we're successful at what we do. And then we come to the horse world, especially cutting, like, God forbid, as if you have just one animal to control. Now you have like a herd and turn back. And there's so many variables. It's so humbling. And we just, I just want to be like really good right away. And he always gives me the advice. He's like, no, no, no. Like I, I said to ask him once after a show, I said, well, okay. So how exactly, you know, is going around the fence or going down the fence, going around the corner. How, how exactly do I get that right? Or how exactly do I, you know, if this is the scenario, there's three cows and one's not breaking off, like what exactly do I do? And he's like, well, you just have to do it more. <laughs> like, that's the answer. And I love that so much because the attitude of like just show up and enjoy every minute and make it really fun is the thing that why I love especially coming to cuttings and why I love riding with Brad so much and with Heather and um, to uh, Brad's wife is they just they make it stay really fun because people like me <laughs> We're very intense individuals and we can make things really not fun right away. And um, the last few cow horse shows that I've gone to, um, I've been, you know, just finishing up and, you know, you look to the side and your trainers are there and, um, you know, Clint's been at the far gate, but I've looked over and John Swales has been sitting there with, you know, a huge smile and like make some joke and, you know, you're in the intensity and then you remember, oh yeah, we're here to have fun and always encouraging. And I, I think that we people don't realize how much that means to us to get encouraged and to have people, um, you know, the strangers, the people who, you know, just show up in the world. If we reach out to them and we, you know, encourage them, we say, Hey, that was really, really good. Then they're going to come back again mm -hmm. because I think it's easy to forget how hard it is to walk into the herd that first time mm -hmm. or the 12th time or the 800th time, <laughs> you know, it's, hard for everybody. So just keeping it positive. I know it's intense. I know it's people's livelihoods, but their livelihood really depends partly on our enjoyment. Mm -hmm. So keeping it positive, And I see so much of that. I know that there's the other side of it in all sports, but um, the more we focus on everybody having a really good experience and kind of you know, get over ourselves and the drama and all the, the little things that you see that sometimes 
really turn amazing people away from the sport, um, I think would be a big thing. And then of course, the other side, you know, especially from my business perspective is uh, the one thing I would change is just a little bit of the communication thing. Um, you know, I think everybody needs to like hire a looper at the barn to send updates of their horses to the owners, like take a video now and then, and, you know, send it to them because we're spending a lot of money and we spend the money because we love the horse. Totally. Not, you know, most of us don't spend the money because of the glory, God forbid, because it's you know, zero to euro or euro to zero in the sport. So, you know, if there was anything that I would say, especially for young up and comers, I think there's a huge need for that. And people will just fall over backwards supporting people who just really get like we're here because we love horses and keep it about that and keep it fun. No, I think that is a great point. I've really experienced that in the last few weeks because Chivas has been at Cooley Equine and Olds and they do such an amazing job of that. So I get a photo or video, sometimes him just in a stall, like literally just standing there (laughs) or him in a water treadmill. And then I also get to see like the difference in height. And, you know, my vets are checking on him every week. So I get that update, but it's just like that quick little update on your phone. It like, I've really been thinking about how impactful that is for me, not only because he's rehabbing and it's kind of an emotional experience, but like as someone that is, as a consumer, that's paying a lot of money for him to be there. It makes me almost want to like leave him there longer. Cause I'm like, Oh, look at, he looks so happy. Or like, Oh, look at how they're like paying attention to him. Like, it's just that little extra sparkle, I guess, of an already great facility where I'm like, this is definitely, I I've been thinking about that lately. So it's funny that you brought it up. I was like, Horse trainers, like especially young and up and coming horse trainers. I think if I were to send a horse to an up and coming horse trainer and perhaps he wasn't doing, or she, I shouldn't say he, he or she wasn't doing um, their best in the show pen, but I could see like the love and care and training and relationship side of it that you don't get to see as an owner. I think that would go a long way for those, those people in our industry. Well, I don't think they, the trainers themselves have to do it because they're no. busy. No, <laughs> you know, they're not going to go on TikTok. Staff and, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I get that. I mean, and that's why it's not really a criticism and why it's something that I think, um, you know, especially people who are coming into the business, there's a great opportunity there to get new customers. Even if you're not really established, you could probably go a very, very long way. Uh, with just keeping people super excited about their horses. Most lopers know how to take a photo on an iPhone and send it in like a group chat. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And filter it too. <laughs> yeah. Put some like fun stickers on it. Tag, tag us in it <laughs> yeah. so we can reshare it on our Instagram feed. Brad and Heather yeah. are going to listen to this and be like, oh my God, Louisa, stop it. <laughs> hey, Brad and Heather well, have also- been on my podcast. They are yes. podcast inductees. So I can say what I want. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, I do think that like probably not all cutting customers, like a lot of the cutters that I see are a lot older than me. Oh yeah. And I'm one of the younger people there. You know, most people are well over 40 and when they're doing it, so they, you know, maybe it's not such a thing, but I think for the, the people who are coming into the industry and there's so much talk about how do we get some of these young people coming in? How do we get the youth and, you know, the people like me who are, you know, young professionals that we have a little bit of money and, why not have us go into the Western world and be spending our money on horses rather than, you know, buying cars and RVs and all sorts of other stuff. Um, if we can make it really fun and friendly and awesome, uh, you might just be surprised how many people show up. No, totally. 
So to wrap it up, I have 10 fast questions to ask you. They often are not that fast, but there's 10 of them. What is one discipline that now you'd love to try amongst all the other disciplines you've already tried? You know, I'd love to ride like a super fast racehorse. Like in the, I know, <laughs> it's probably not what you're thinking. Well, you do go down the fence. So, I mean, I could see it. <laughs> you, you, by the way, we're totally going to come and get you to go down the fence. Oh my God. I would see, I really like to go fast. Like what is that thing? Yeah, go you fast might be addicted. Make good decisions or, or bad decisions yeah. or whatever they say on that, on the <laughs> horse podcast. I'm like, I would go too fast. <laughs> I would, I would be like your horse that you sold that just kept running and didn't stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a little dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the number one bridle that you reach for? Um, I bought, I have this bridle that I bought the bit from Peter Swales. Uh, it's this beautiful antique bit. Um, it's a cow horse bit. I absolutely adore it. It is spectacular. It's beautiful. I, I like clean it neurotically like an English person. Like I love this thing. Um, and I have a beautiful head stall that Peter handmade for it. I may have snapped it in a small incident. So, um, <laughs> I have a, a head stall that Heather uh, Baumgartner made that's really beautiful too. So, um, but that's, that's it. And um, that's the one that uh, lives on my horse most of the time. What can't you live without when you're on the road? Uh, my phone. <laughs> it's realtor life. You know, I'm often selling houses in between runs at horse shows. So definitely my phone. What is one bloodline that you love? Ooh, that's a good one. I love, well, right now I, I love Cats Picasso because I think he's really cool. Um, I adore my hybrid cat mare. I, I love the hybrid cats, especially because that's the end of them. Um, and then I'm really excited about all the new ones, uh, all the new horses and all the new bloodlines. I bred my mare to Stevie Ray Vaughan oh, cool. and I am so excited to see all the Stevie Ray Vaughan's, uh, this year. Cause it's like their first year. And so that'll be really cool. So I guess my number one, I would say, um, it's, you know, going to be seeing what the Stevie's do this year. Oh, that's awesome. Favorite place you've competed at and in what event? Um, I love competing at Silver Slate. <laughs> That's my favorite. Um, before that, it was Red Deer at the Supreme. I did get to show there once and it, that was really, really cool. I wish it was still around, but I would say Silver Slate because how can you possibly improve upon great ground and great food Literally. right in the same building? Like, that's pretty much heaven. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to go anywhere of, to get a good steak yeah. dinner. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. There's no driving. You don't like, you don't have to unhook your trailer. You just like, literally you get there and you are set. What is some of the best advice you've ever been given about competing or horsemanship? Uh, Exactly what I, I told you that Brad said to me, which is, you know, you just have to do it more. Uh, he talks sometimes he's like, cause we love skiing and snowboarding. He was like, okay. So, you know, think of if you had to think, about avoiding a tree when you're snowboarding, you probably already hit the tree. <laughs> so a lot of it's just feel is just that, you know, it's all muscle memory and you just like, you don't even think about it, you just go around it. And that's what you'll get to once you get experienced enough in the cutting in the cow horse and reading cows. And so it's so encouraging, especially I think to 
someone like me that didn't grow up with cows, that every time I go into the herd, I am just getting that little bit better, a little bit more experience, a little bit more experience and just focus on that. And then the outcome really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What is some of the best advice you've ever been given about business? I think the best advice that I've, <laughs> that I've been given is probably like an opposite. And um, I was part of a mastermind for a long time where everything was about, um, being number one <laughs> and being the best and being extremely competitive mm-hmm. and kind of hit a point where I was like, always looking to other people and trying to do stuff. And I had, and I've, I've written about this on, um, social media. I went down to buy a, what was I buying some new, like, um, Rommel reins. And I went to this like old school kind of tech collector trader guy into his basement. We're talking and I'm telling him about this like mentor and how I have this horse trainer and I have this. And he looks at me and he says, you know, Sarah, I'm going to tell you something. I've met so many people like you that look to everybody else for advice. The number one thing that you need to do is figure it out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's like anti-advice because it didn't come from a business person and it wasn't really about business. It was more about horse training, but it really changed my perspective on looking outward for approval on everything and looking for advice and instruction from everyone. I think that's the one thing that horse trainers get to do every day that we don't do, which is problem solve and just figure things out themselves where us as non-pros we're like, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix it. So that really changed my life in my business where I started saying, I'm going to stop plugging into what everybody else says I should do. And I'm a highly competitive person. I love winning. I wanted to be number one at everything. And at the time I was, you know, doing really, really well. And so I cut down on things. I said, I'm just going to figure it out for myself. No more like looking to mentors and trainers and all this other stuff. I just started to look inwards and let that be the guide more and get to really live the life that I loved instead of just trying to do everything to please everybody else. Sorry, that was so long. (laughs) That's what it was. It's amazing. Like those little passing comments from people that really can like pivot or shift your life. It really is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing that, and another heavy one, what is one thing that you'd like to tell your 18 year old self? Uh, Not be so serious. I moved out halfway through high school um, and every single thing that I did was work hard. I had two full-time jobs. You know, I couldn't do anything halfway. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, kid, just go have some fun. <laughs> like, Relax. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to have enough money. You will be just fine. Um, you know, don't be so serious all the time. Just go and have some fun. Yeah. What is the best advice you've received when getting involved in any of the equine disciplines? You kind of touched on this with what Brad said, but what's some of like your best newbie advice? for being new in any of those disciplines? Know that the hardest thing is just showing up. Yeah. And while you might think that everybody is judging you for not being incredibly amazing on your first day, know that anybody whose opinion is worth anything is impressed by the fact you had the courage to show up at all. Mm -hmm. And note like that little piece 
should get you really, really far. You know, know that you just walking into that herd and you sitting on that horse, even if you think you've made a complete ass of yourself, um, do not worry because we all respect the fact that you're there. Totally. No, I love that. And there is such a short memory. Like I think probably because now I lope open horses and I watch like, I'm, you know, watching a lot of cutting, like we, nobody remembers, nobody remembers that, that time that like my horse pushed up the pen under the judges stand in Claire's home in 2016. Like nobody remembers it except for me. Right. And I, but I really think like the more, more people remind, like, just like, nobody's going to remember the bad stuff. They're not, they're really not even gonna remember the good stuff. So like, why not just enjoy it while you're there? And, and then, so what if something bad happens? Yeah. What if there, you fall I had off? one run where I was, I didn't fall off thankfully, but I, you know, when just like things all go wrong in the cutting pen, like yes. disaster can strike. I think I like cut and there were like no cows left. It's like the stuff like that's going to happen. Right. And Brad is sitting in the corner laughing hysterically, like laughing out loud. And I tell the story and people are like, Oh my God, that's so horrible. Are you mortified? I said, no, no, no. Like, that shows exactly where we're at. If I can't be in the show pen, if something goes wrong and not be laughing, I'm in the wrong place. Like the whole point is going in there and having fun and not taking it too seriously and knowing that, oh, well, I guess, I, you know, hopefully I won't do that again. But you go to Fort Worth finals and you watch the top riders in the world lose a cow yeah. and, you know, mess up their cut and all sorts of random stuff happens. So people are not watching. They just respect the fact that you're there. Totally. Yeah. I love that. My last story in that is I always think about this when I think when people tell me like, Oh, I had such a bad run. I didn't, when I started cutting, I, I didn't know a lot of the terms. And so someone once said like, I can't believe that guy just like cut air. And that means to like, you go to cut a cow and there's nothing left. Like you literally <laughs> air. Cause all the cows have left. And I looked you know, up yep. and that guy was Al Dunning. <laughs> like, so like if Al Dunning can cut air, then we can all screw up and be fine. That guy's in books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like we're going to be okay. Yep. Uh, yep. If you were in last question, if you were not involved in real estate, what would you be doing? Full-time horseback riding. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. All the, all the um, sports you'd be r- racing in the mornings. Yes. <laughs> dressage in the afternoons. <laughs> Just 100% horsing all the time. That would be my life. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love this conversation and just getting to know you a little bit better. I had no idea that you just kind of recently in recent memory got involved in all these sports. I really had thought you were going to tell me that like you rode your whole life and had been involved at a young age and got back to it as a young adult. So it's so cool to um, hear your story and how like literally horses have really shaped the way for you. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for having me. It's been cool to listen and very fun to be on it. That's awesome. (laughs) 